Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping your covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. First Kings eight, chapter 8, verse 22 uh, to 23. Lord, we pray that this will be our motivation and central focus, even as we think of you as our Lord that is highly exalted, not by merely paying you lip service, but by this being the very constitution of our hearts, that we shall be willing to live out in our lives every single day, whether there is anyone watching or no. This is our prayer, that our lives and our bodies shall be living temples in which prayer uh, can be exercised and in which your glory can uh, surely be made manifest before those that are around us. Help us to get to focus on you and to deal with every delusion and illusion, my King of glory, that is around us, the desires of the world and the boasting of the world and the desires of our flesh, O King of glory, and the lust of our eyes that come and oftentimes illusionally mislead us that once you get that or you get the other, you are going to be sorted in your life and we keep focusing on them and we forget about you and we forget about focusing on you all the time. Your word teaches that where our heart is there, our treasure is also and that is where our life is going to be. We want to pray that you shall help us focus on you and lord help us understand that the challenges the problems and the desires of our lives that come into our direction are basically things that are meant to be kept in check and control as long as we focus on you and we are not um, misled and deceptively led away from your presence we shall keep having uh, our satisfaction and we shall keep having our lives in order this is our prayer this morning be glorified in jesus mighty name we have prayed and believed Amen. Um, one time we were praying uh, somewhere in a uh, uh, church and uh, there was um, a, a big person, very big, that I will not mention uh, anything beyond that. And we were praying and the Spirit of the Lord came and told me and he said, David, if that man could simply humble himself and go down there, prostrate down before me, uh, you would have seen what would have happened in this church. But uh, this honorable person, not that I took offense uh, in any way, personally speaking, but um, in the spirit, uh, because the Lord was saying this, this honorable person kept in his highly exalted uh, chair and was up there. And because of that, he worked against the flow of the spirit. He worked against the flow of the spirit and what he wanted to do at that particular time. There is a way that people look at us that lead service, especially in our positions that God has um, gracefully given unto us, uh, I mean, to be able to lead others before him. We should have been a position of humility and a position of self-emptying uh, before others. And then, uh, I mean, that, that would have removed every impediment of leading people before the presence of the Lord. Oftentimes, we've gone into places of worship and uh, we are either following mere routine or we are conditioned by what we want to excuse ourselves to 
um, you know, to call liturgy. But basically, you don't see this dismission in men. You don't see men breaking down before God. You don't see us forgetting about our positions uh, as, as pastors, as 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 reverends, as bishops. You don't see us breaking down. You know, you don't see us being humble before the Lord. You don't see that enough. You don't actually see that enough. We are, you know, smartly dressed and honorably clad in our vestments, in our suits, in our everything. And you don't see men going down before the Lord. You don't see any surprises. Nothing really touches you about us and the way that we lead service. I mean, we are so formal and we are so honorable uh, to preserve our you know, prestige and places of honor, and you don't really get to see people getting dismantled uh, before the presence of the Lord. And so are the people that we are leading. Now, if the pastor, if the leveler, if the bishop, if 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 the elder, if the apostle is not going down and is not dismantled in their approach to God, how do you expect the rest of the people that he leads to be dismantled before the presence of the Lord? Friends, today we want to talk about um, prayer in our bodies as living temples or approaching prayer in our bodies as living temples of the Lord, approaching prayer in our bodies as living temples in the Lord. And where we are at today is First uh, Kings chapter 8. That is where we are at the dedication of the temple. What is happening right now? I've already read those two verses. I'm not going to be uh, doing... Um, the reading in its totality because this is a long passage to the long uh, to the end of uh, uh, the chapter but what i'm going to be doing is to pick up those key verses you shall find time and do the entire passage first Kings chapter 8 and we are taking it from verse uh, 22 first kings chapter 8 and we are going to take it from verse uh, 22 that's where we are and i've already uh, read that now, what you're going to see here is that Solomon is basically dedicating the temple that he has uh, constructed and fully furnished by now. And what is happening is that, what actually happens is that Solomon set up a podium, kind of a stage that was about 7.5 feet high, uh, if I have my measurements right, because he says it was about five cubits, and a cubit is about uh, one and a half feet. Yeah, uh, one um, about 7.5 feet high and 7.5 feet wide. And therefore, it was kind of on a platform before the wall of Israel. And we are speaking of um, the highest um, man in the land. He's highly placed and positioned. He's very rich and affluent. He is the wisest of men that will ever live in life. But right now, what we are seeing and witnessing is that he has taken the lowest of postures if you may, he is kneeling on his knees, and then he has his hands um, spread out uh, way up there uh, so as to uh, make his uh, supplications before the Lord or generally to lead the people in uh, prayer, uh, you see. Uh, so that is what is happening. That is what uh, Solomon is doing right now, my dear friend. That is what Solomon is doing now let us just reread that once again so we can get to see what he says in detail here he says then solomon uh, stood before the altar of the lord in the presence of all the assembly of israel first kings chapter 8 verse 22 and spread out his hands he said oh lord the god of israel there is no god like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping the covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts 
who have kept with their, uh, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you've spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand, and it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, and so on and so forth. Now, friends, what we want to see here is, after the temple was constructed, then what? After the temple was constructed, then what? Solomon went right ahead and dedicated this temple, of course, working with uh, the priests that were there on that particular day. Now, we need to harmonize this with uh, what actually happens in uh, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, because when you go over there, especially from verse 16, there's a, a man called Uzziah. He was a king of Judah. Um, and uh, after he had gotten so strong and mighty, he goes uh, before the temple and uh, he assumes uh, the powers of a priest or the role of a priest. And he wants to offer sacrifices before the Lord. And the priests, the reigning priests in, th in those days, Basically, he told him, Mosiah, it is not for you uh, to do this kind of work. It's not for you. But he kind of, uh, you know, accepts uh, their powers and responsibility and role at the same time. And they cautioned him. Now, when he messed up in that direction, the Lord hit him with leprosy. This is not what Solomon is doing. It is something that could uh, bamboozle and, 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 and puzzle you for some time, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Why? Because what we are seeing here is that Solomon basically is kind of facilitating the process as a king, providing for it in one sense. You, you see that? But the priests were there to um, lead the process in terms of offering the sacrifices like we shall see at the end of the process. And in any case, in Psalm 116, the Bible uh, speaks and says, What shall I come with to the Lord to express my thanksgiving before him? And he says, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In any case, uh, peace offerings and sacrifices of thanksgiving was something that someone could give. And basically, that is what we see uh, Solomon doing here. So he wasn't usurping the powers of the priests per se. That shouldn't confuse you because for me, it was a question for a long time until I discovered that. But now what Solomon actually does here is uh, he is uh, um, him and the priests and the entire nation, that is why the Bible says, are dedicating the temple of the Lord before him. But there is something that is very important that we need to realize here about four major points. In other words, the question that we are answering today is after the, question, uh, after the temple was constructed, then what? In the prayer that Solomon leads, we get to see how the temple uh, was going to be used or how important it was going to be before the lives of the Israelites. Amen. And therefore, the temple as, um, um, as a representation of our lives, because we see, um, if you follow our our teachings, our preceding teachings to this, you're going to realize that um, ultimately uh, the temple was pointing to our lives, just like uh, Solomon teaches in the New Testament, uh, just like Paul teaches, excuse me, in the New Testament in First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, and he teaches that our bodies are the temples uh, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself pointing to the fact that he was the ultimate temple uh, in John 2, 19, and later 
as St. Peter alluding to the same fact that we are we are parts of his temple that are being constructed on Christ as the foundation. So you realize that we are living temples. Now, if we take that at that, you're going to realize that what Solomon does here gives us a model of prayer. He really gives us a model of prayer uh, right here in our living temples. That is the point we are making today. Now, one, what does Solomon do? Initially, what Solomon does is he exalts the Lord. He exalts the Lord in the verses that we've so far read. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 22, he says, And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven. Uh, he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. You see that? So initially what Solomon is doing is he is exalting the Lord and he says, God, there is no God like you way up there in heaven or down here on earth. He basically says that, God, you're incomparably great. Nothing can ever be compared to you. Now, in a sense, he gets to reveal unto us that the first thing that has gotten to be done in the temple is to exalt the Lord. In our worship, friends, we are meant to exalt the Lord. Now, I often give my friends an example and I tell them that in terms of diet, if you're the sort of person that is going to eat what <laughs> I stubbornly call a suit, you know suits can be eaten. They, 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 they are basically the same. A, a suit is a combination of um, a, a coat and a trouser that basically look alike, yeah? Now, in terms of nutrition, what we call a suit in relative terms is someone taking porridge and then eating posho at the same time as uh, an accompaniment. <laughs> what kind of uh, um, diet would that be? Are you going to derive the kind of nutrients that you need? No way. In our prayer life, that applies the same way. You find a person that basically goes into one dimension of prayer, and that is, give me, give me, give me, basically supplications, things that we are asking and demanding of the Lord. Give me this, give me this, give me this. In our generation, when you hear people say, push, those kind of acronyms that I don't really ascribe to, subscribe to, eh? Uh, pray until something happens, that kind of thing. Eh? PhD, pray heaven down. When you hear people use those kind of acronyms and those kind of semantics in prayer, what they basically are pointing to is the sort of prayer where people have been empowered, not in the right sense, but have been empowered to believe that they have the power, they have the authority to cause anything to happen. You see, it is that kind of false teaching. They have the power and anything, uh, uh, and authority to cause anything to happen. They are praying heaven down. It is in their power. Oftentimes, it is basically about a supplication. It is basically about what I want and not what God wants. You and me will do well to understand that prayer has gotten to be a relationship that is led of the spirit between a believer and uh, their God, basically, that is uh, punctuated by um, exhortation of the Lord or adoration, um, repentance, uh, thanksgiving, and then supplications or asking for that that you need. But for most of us, especially in our generation, what we hear people do in our generation, what we are basically doing and what we pastors are teaching you is basically pray until something happens. Push, just ask for that. Claim it. It is in your power. People get to misinterpret what is written in Matthew 18. Oftentimes they say, for God has given us the keys of heaven. We can 
you know um that um <laughs> that god has said um i'll 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 unlock what you've locked uh, on, on earth and then i'll 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 release what you're releasing in heaven basically that that is what people misinterpret that to mean i've given you the keys and therefore whatever you lock on earth i will lock in heaven and whatever you you lock um you, you release on earth i'll release you know it that makes god subject unto us it doesn't work like that neither does god just answer prayer the way that we want it doesn't work in that way neither is prayer basically about just getting what we need from god not at all here solomon is showing us that in the temple what is actually of 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 primary focus or what is of most importance is basically ascribing the greatness of the lord uh, unto him is exalting him oh lord you're great there's no one in heaven like you are no one on earth now when you're lost in that kind of adoration what you're going to find is actually you discover who you are the moment you're lost in 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 ascribing greatness unto the lord and in and in adoring the lord in him we live move and have our being the more you exalt him is the more you're going to discover who you really are you see that is how god has has has, has made it that is how god has wired us we are created to worship him to adore him in isaiah 43 7 he says my people whom i've created for my glory in genesis 2 7 he says that uh, and then god created or made man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into him and then man became a living being you, you see that and so basically that um th that is what you need to understand basically that so the more you adore the lord the more you ascribe greatness unto him is the more you're going to discover the essence of your being and why you're there but our prayer lives these days are punctuated by basically uh, pray ask for anything keep on praying ask him you have the power you have the authority i mean that is wrong and even the way that we are doing it is a way of um a kind of exhorting ourselves we don't go down there i'm telling you that this is um a king that is kneeling down and is lifting up his 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 hands now uh, let me just ask and pose this question who did not kneel on that particular day if the king is down on his knees who did not kneel on that day you, you, you get that who remained standing if solomon with all his valor and splendor and wealth and wisdom was kneeling down and ascribing greatness unto the lord who didn't kneel on that particular day but look at our look at our generation look at we pastors leading prayer look at the bishops in churches just look at them look at us oh lord have mercy just look at us in the way that we lead prayer you know we are full of ourselves we we have this authority tell me when last did you see a bishop prostrating down there when and i told you when i speak of bishops for me and for the church of christ you know across denominations that that is my calling I, I don't just you know if if you get me and myopically look at me as addressing a particular denomination you're going to lose our focus here but i'm speaking of the church of christ wherever it is whoever is called a bishop whoever is called a pastor an apostle an elder look at us and the way that we are leading prayer it, i mean how many people do you see going down genuinely by the power of the spirit of the lord as in the day of solomon this is why the Lord descended in his power, in his glory, uh, to the point that the priests could not go ahead to continue with their ministry. No way. Because, I mean, everyone had dedicated themselves and God looked at their hearts and they were dedicated. And there's no reason as to why God shouldn't descend. But look at us. We are sitting on our highly exalted chairs, even if they say kneel. I mean, we people don't kneel. 
we are scrolling at our phones in in uh, in church even when we are meant to be leading prayer just look at that and this is why people come and they live the same way they've come into church. People come with their prostration and they go back with it. We come with our theft and we go back with it. And yet the church is the place that um, should be housing such people. They come, but they shouldn't go out the same way that they came. You see, this is why people don't see a difference between church and, uh, yeah, I mean, the world. You know, we are full of entertainment and stuff of that nature. Someone comes, a, a sinner comes and walks out scotch-free. Friends, I tell you, God is calling for repentance, you know, with our with, with our tummies down the ground, down the floor. This is the calling that we should be having upon our, our lives today, my dear friends. So Solomon shows us that. Just look at what he says in verse 27, still 1 Kings chapter 8. He says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Now look, Solomon knows that by him worshipping the Lord, it is kind of, yes, what he has to do by default, but by God honoring their presence, it is a privilege. You know, it is a privilege even when God wants to do it. He says, yes, I've constructed this temple, but Lord, will you really, really, really dwell here if the heavens cannot handle you, if you do not fit in there? Are you going to fit into this temple? But look at our attitude in our generation. You find people that are going to claim, but my forefathers gave this land. It is us that have constructed this church. Now, what are you saying, you pastor? What are you saying? That kind of thing. They think that by their money and positions, you know, and fame uh, and honor, they are doing God a favor to worship him. We think that we are doing God a favor by constructing those worship auditoriums. Now, listen, God is meant to be worshipped anywhere and he still can be worshipped anywhere. Constructing churches is a good thing, but this should even be humbling before us instead of exhorting us. Look at what Solomon is doing. A man that constructed one of the most magnificent buildings in the known world, even when it was destroyed by now. And that is an indicator. If that temple was finally destroyed, what can't get destroyed? I mean, the world is going to get decimated in the fire of the Lord that is going to release upon it when you study the book of Revelation. But look at the church, how we are so full of ourselves. Because I'm giving in so much money that if I'm doing them a favor, I could even just send my man and not go to church. After all, that is what the pastors want. What? Is that what God is looking for? Is he not more interested in uh, obedience than the sacrifice? Is this not what he told Solomon, uh, King Saul, in um, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20 to 23? Does God delight in uh, sacrifices as he does in uh, obedience? Does God do that? He doesn't, he doesn't at all, my dear friend. He doesn't at all. Uh, you, 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 you get to see that? Basically, uh, that is what it is. Uh -huh. I, I just want us to look at Isaiah chapter 66 and see something that um, Isaiah speaks about here that uh, resonates well with what we are speaking about here today. Look at Isaiah 66 and see what he says in verse 1, but particularly verse 2. He says, that says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where, um, where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all the things. Thus all the things came into being, declares the Lord. But listen to this, it's phenomenal. But to this, 
one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Praise the Lord. So God says, even if you construct temples, I'm basically, I mean, I can't fit in there. I mean, I'm glorious. I made the entire world. He said, the heavens is my seat and I cannot fit in there. It's basically my seat and the earth is basically my footstool. So what kind of temple are you going to construct for me? But then he says, but those to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That one, I will basically look at friends. God is calling for a people of this nature. This is what God wants to see. This is why David teaches in Psalm 51 and he says, the sacrifice of the, heart, the, the Lord is a broken and contrite spirit. And that kind of sacrifice is not going to despise. But friends, we are losing it in our generation. We think we are doing God a favor. You don't see that kind of humility. You don't see the remorse before the presence of the Lord. You don't see us breaking down before the Lord in worship. We don't get to see that. You don't get to see that. One time I told you we are worshiping and I kind of got a vision. And, you know, I was not sleeping, I was not dreaming, but like I saw Christ on the cross and all of us know that he's not there. He wasn't kind of nailed. He was like fitting there. And and then he he had his, he, he had folded his hands. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, what is happening? And he's like, we're in worship. And he's like, David, what, what, what should I do? I mean, you guys are in church. You, you're in charge of my church. Why should I come into this worship? You know? We, we, we are so bent on, you know, pursuing worship in a particular way, in, 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 in pursuing our, our own liturgies. And I'm not saying liturgy is a bad thing. Please get me well here. Liturgy is a good thing. There should be an order to something, to, to, to the way that we worship. God is a God of order. You can read First Corinthians chapter 14. Yes, um, he's a God of order around verse 30 onwards. I agree. But we are saying he is a God of order in the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes, he is the order. Yeah, It is good for us to prepare, but when he finally comes, as in the day of Solomon, when he finally comes, he is basically the order. Let him take charge. Let us not lock him out of his own charge. This is why church is getting stale, is getting so weak, is losing its power, and yet it is the manifest power and wisdom to the heathen and the principalities uh, in accordance with the, um, Ephesians chapter 3. You know, this is what the Lord teaches. You see that? That is what it is. And then later, what Solomon speaks about is we see that he also shows us that we as living temples... Uh, we, we must be um we must engage in a prayer of in prayers that um um would, would require the lord's response you see mm-hmm. he, he shows us that um uh, basically when we pray we should pray in repentance we should pray in repentance he says here that if any man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and uh, that is verse 31 and takes an oath before your altar in this house, then here in heaven, and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked by bringing his way on his own head, and just find the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Now, he says we should pray for justice in one way or the other. Then in verse 33, he says, when your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn 
unto you again and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then here in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel. There are two things there. One, uh, in addition to exhortation, Solomon shows us that we should go to God in repentance. In the temple, he says, if, his, if Israel has sinned and is beaten in war, uh, basically shows us that sin is going to have far-reaching effects upon our lives and turns around and comes and says, Lord, forgive us, then forgive them, O King of glory. Our bodies as living temples and our lives as living temples should really be moving in repentance. This is one thing that the church has chosen to throw into the dustbin. In fact, if it is a computer, it is removed from the recycle bin. It is cannot be restored in a sense. We don't think about repentance. What you hear is people tell you, in our generation, it doesn't matter what you do. Jesus has it covered. We are sorted. What? But that is a lie. When the Lord is teaching us how to pray, when he was teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches from verse 9 onwards, he teaches and he says one part of prayer should be what? Forgive us our sin or trespasses as we sin those who trespass against us. It is still valid and so potent because we cannot get to the state that God wants us as long as we are living in this flesh. This is something that he deals with in Romans chapter 8 in verse 23. That all creation, um, you know, groans for the day that it shall be liberated out of these fallen bodies. You realize that? So we are meant to go to God in repentance and friends in our generation, especially after the coming of the Spirit of the Lord. When we walk with God in prayer, Paul speaks about praying for everything and praying in the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, pray always. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, he speaks of us having to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, you don't have to wait for when you are going to be praying in the night. If you're tempted in last, you see a, a dude passing by, you see a girl, and many of them are miraculously, um, miracles in quotes, dressed with their boobs out on a cleavage, with their thighs out, and you're tempted. You don't have to wait for the night. There and then, you're a walking and living temple. There and then, repent and get into fellowship with the Lord and ask him to help you not to go back. In the office, when you're thinking of signing a fake check, you know, repent. When you're desirous within you, when you're lustful within you, tell the Lord. When you make a wrong comment before someone and you hurt them, there and then, you know, pray to the Lord in repentance. This is what our living temples are meant to be. And friends, this is how you remain in fellowship with the Lord. When Solomon is praying, in 1 Kings 8, 23, the word he uses to refer to the Lord is one that shows that he had a relationship with God. So we are speaking of one that has a relationship with God, and therefore they are walking as living temples. Later, we see beginning with verse 31, here he speaks of praying for justice, but we also see that in verse 37, he comes into the position of what? Of supplications, of praying for a need. In verse 37, he says, if there is a famine in the land, if there is a pestilence, if there is a blight or a mildew, locust or grasshopper, if there is an enemy beseeching us, be, uh, if an enemy beseeches them in the land of their cities, uh, whatever 
plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands toward he, um, this house, then here in heaven, your dreading place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone knows the hearts of all the sons of men. Next, Solomon shows you that it was important and pertinent also to pray for needs. Yeah, there is nothing wrong with asking for what we need from the Lord. But when you go to the New Testament in uh, John chapter 15 and verse 7, he says, if, my, if, you, if you dwell in me and my word dwells in you, then ask for anything and I shall do it. In other words, you're not just going to ask for anything. Lord, give me the position of my boss because I think I can do it better. Nonsense. He's not expecting you to do that. You know, we only pray in line with the will of the Lord. Lord, may you kill my mother's co-wife, kill my stepmother because she's persecuting us. God says pray for those who hate you. Love them. He's not going to answer that kind of prayer. You know, God, I'm tired of this, my wife, you should get me this other uh, girl, this angel that I see at office, just get me that. You know, she looks beautiful. Lord, I'm going to end with that one. What sort of prayer is that? You don't pray for your desires. This kind of push theology, pray until something happens. They give you the impression that it is up to you and how you pray. You know, you're not going to pray the way you like. God says, if I'm in you and you're in me, I'm going to lead you on how to pray. And only then, if you pray that way, only then will I answer that kind of prayer. That is what he's saying. This is the reason, um, as prayerful as Paul was, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 12, he goes to God, not once, not twice, but thrice. And he tells him, may you, Lord, take away this kind of... Um, and take away uh, this thorn um, from my flesh. Does God take it away? He doesn't. He doesn't. He says, my grace is sufficient. God answers the way that he wants. His will on that occasion was sustaining him with his grace. His will wasn't taking away uh, that particular thorn. This is what we need to understand. Friends, this is what our prayer has gotten to be as living temples of the Lord. Praise the Lord. And uh, finally there, what we see is that Solomon ends with the... Um, um, and, you know, offering sacrifices, of course, working with the priests uh, down there. And later what we see is that uh, uh, Solomon went right ahead and thanked the Lord. There was some kind of thanksgiving, and then the people leave with a thankful heart, and they are connected with the Lord. Mm -hmm. you, you, you see that? He says here that... Um, um, verse 54 of um, uh, First Kings chapter 8, when Solomon had finished praying uh, this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from uh, before the altar of the Lord uh, from kneeling on his knees. Aha, that is what I wanted. He was kneeling, a king, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. May the Lord our God be with us, and so on and so forth. This has some kind of um, thanksgiving and also adoration, you see, and then some kind of benediction in a sense. You see that? And then he encourages and urges the people, let your heart, in verse 61, therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord, our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. This is what Solomon is doing here. This is what he's doing. 
And finally, we see in verse 66, the Bible says, on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart, of all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to all, to Israel his people. You see, this is why many of us are devoid of joy. You see, when they did it the right way, they are full of joy and they're walking out of the presence of the Lord with the full assurance of his presence. But friends, in our generation, we are forgetting that we are living temples and we are not, you know, praying the way that we should. We are not adoring the Lord. We are not repenting. We are not um, giving thanks. We are only doing supplications. And yet you could also find that people are telling you, we pray with those that are born again and those that are not born again, which is okay for them to come to the Lord with the notion of ushering them into a relationship and fellowship with the Lord Almighty. But you can't give people assurance that even when they don't have Christ, they're going to be able to pray. I want to wind up with the New uh, Testament perspective of prayer. Uh, first and foremost, in John chapter um, 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 14, verse 13 and 14, the Bible teaches here and says, um, he says here that, um, um, let me do it from verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who b believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But I've already qualified this, yeah? We realize here that prayer can only be answered if it goes through Christ Jesus. And the assumption here that St. John is making is on the premise of a relationship, that the person that is praying unto the Lord is one that already has a relationship with Christ. Because these things uh, Jesus was addressing to his disciples, it is something that uh, starts from verse 1, when he's comforting his disciples in the time of his death. You see that, my friend? Uh, that is what he's doing here. So you, you realize that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, when he's speaking about prayer, you basically see the concept of or the notion of a relationship coming back once again. So do not think in any way that anyone is just going to walk to God and say, I want this and then God is going to do it. Not at all. It is a relationship. It is a spirit-led relationship. Fight, uh, first and foremost, a faith-led relationship. One is connected with God through saving faith. And then later through persevering faith that abides all the time. And then later you come to God with this kind of faith that is led of the guidance of the spirit. It is God in accordance with John 15, 7 that is guiding you on how to pray. But in our generation, this is why we are so shallow in our Christianity. We go to church and we think we are praying overnight and so on, which is good. That is not wrong in essence. I'm saying the principle is okay, but the approach and the conviction and the motivation is wrong. People think, uh, if I go and I spend a night in the presence of the Lord, and I'm not saying this is bad now, I do this all the time, I, I, I should tell you, I'm not saying it is bad, but people think I'm going to, the more time I spend in the presence of God, forget about um, work, and, and I tell him, God, work on this and work on the other, without even a relationship with God, without repentance. I mean, you're walking in immorality, we are messing up. You know, sleeping with this woman, sleeping with the other, walking out of our marital beds, bringing other women into them, you know, squandering resources, uh, doing simony at work, corruption. And then we think we are going to ask of God and receive. That is wrong. It is wrong, my friend. 
And uh, this is why the Lord teaches how we ought to pray. Uh, this is how we, he actually teaches how we ought to pray. And he says uh, in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Take note of the word Father. He is assuming that you already have a relationship with him in the spirit as a spiritual son or daughter. And then verse 9, he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, that is adoration. Allow be your name, and your kingdom come. You will be done on earth. He is praying for the will of the Lord as it is in heaven. Give us this day our dead bread. Yeah, that is confidence and provision and forgive us our debts as we we also have forgiven our debtors you know uh, and do not lead us into temptation and so on forgive us our sin you are repenting even as you're praying this is what god has prepared prayer to be my dear friends may the lord bless you even as you focus on him even as you wait on him as a living temple father bless us and teach us to wait on you and also my heavenly savior to do the right thing in as far as prayer is concerned help us to break clean and apart from the wrong way of prayer and the long way of um, fellowshipping with you in our generation that we may focus on the right kind of fellowship in the spirit with you submit to you in humility empty ourselves of all uh, man-made valor and honor and fame and names and stuff of that nature and focus on you and wait on you and you alone only then shall you bless us give us humility and give us a desire for who you are and not just what we can get from you just like our generation is lord teaching us to do may you humble us as pastors as bishops as elders as people that are leading um in in, in church help us lord to be humble help us to submit to the holy spirit help us to go down like this king went down in worship before you king of glory both on our knees physical and also in our lives in 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 our spirits we bless you king of glory in jesus by name i pray and believe amen amen, amen. god bless you